following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Uh, said that the uh, opportunity to, to preach for an assistant pastor brings two things. Uh, first, it, it gives us uh, an experience that, that we don't often get to as, as preaching. And the second thing is it uh, allows you to look more forward to your senior pastor coming back next week. So happy to do that for you guys, but I appreciate the opportunity uh, being uh, given to give God's word last week and then this week. So uh, we are in the Psalms uh, this summer. If you're just joining with us or on vacation, we've been preaching through uh, this series. And last week we looked at Psalm 51. And then this week we're going to be in Psalm 42, Psalm 42. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there and it'll also be on the screen behind me. Psalm 42 says this. This is God's word. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Well, they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour up my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life, I say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. Well, they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, I pray in the few minutes that we have now that you would open our hearts, open our eyes to see truth, to, to, to see what it means to, to be in sorrow. And God, how we, how we deal with it, who we turn to, in light of this, God. So I pray that this would be true. I pray that your spirit would work through me, would work through our hearts, God, so that after this, that, that we would be able to say that we understand just a little bit more who you are and your love for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, many of you probably have heard of a famous singer, songwriter, Christian artist, uh, Laura Story. She has just had a, a number of, of number one hits of, of worship music, and uh, some of the songs we've sang also are uh, are written by her. And something probably a lot of people don't know is that she has an amazing testimony. She actually, shortly after getting married uh, to her husband, they moved to Atlanta for grad school. And while in Atlanta, her husband started complaining of kind of just headaches and, and fatigue. And then uh, shared that she kind of noticed that he was like forgetting basic things, like things that would just be uh, common sense or, or normally come easy. And shortly after, they went to the doctor and found out that he actually had a massive brain tumor. This is about a, a year into their marriage after getting married. And, and he, he lived, he had surgery, but he is severely handicapped, severely handicapped. So for Laura's story, she's had to learn 
uh, what it means to, to live in sorrow, to deal with sorrow, what it means to, to have a, a different expectation than something that she originally thought was going to go a certain way. And you've heard this preached from us before. You've seen it in the liturgy, uh, often the idea that with the fall, uh, this world is not as it should be, right? Hopefully that's something that, that, that you all have, have noticed. We've even tried to incorporate in the liturgy today of, of just this, this fallen, broken world. And there's two realities that go along with that. One was the one that we covered last week in Psalm 51. We heard David's confession of an adulterous affair and of murder, uh, the idea of sin, that because of Genesis 3, sin entered this world, and that has certain, certain elements of sorrow, and a lot of the things we struggle with are because of sin, and, and we want to stop, but we don't know how to stop, and we work through that. But the second reality, and one that we're going to look at this morning, is just simply dealing with sorrow, simply dealing with, with the brokenness of this world, of things that, that happen that our hearts kind of know this isn't how it's supposed to be. Things like, like a cancer diagnosis, broken relationships, accidents, death, sickness, uh, just anything in this, in this earth before us that we can just kind of tell, this doesn't seem normal. My, I know it's happening, but my heart kind of recognizes this isn't how it's supposed to be. And one of the things I love about preaching and teaching the Psalms is that the authors and writers don't shy away from this. Uh, that they give for us a model of, of here's how to go to God with all of your emotions, with every thought, every, everything that you're struggling with. Don't hold it back. Like, like, be honest about it before God. And specifically, this psalm, uh, we look at how we deal with sorrow, right? There's a lot of that language in there of, of when our souls are feeling down, of when we're tempted to say, uh, not even tempted, we actually say, God, why have you forgotten me? Where are you? I don't understand. And so this psalm gives us a model for what to do in the midst of sorrow, what to do in the midst of, of when you have certain, certain things that you think are going to line up in this life, right? We always have that. We, we have the, the marriage that, that we're going to have, and then the kids and how they're going to turn out, and, and the career and how this is going to look. And we have this whole kind of plan constructed, and then inevitably, it's, it's not that way. And in the midst, we have to work through these failed expectations that this broken world brings. So uh, through this, we see a model, and there are three points for this morning. I'm a big three-point guy, so if you're a note-taker, here are three points. First is that in the midst of sorrow, we can be honest with God. Second is that we can look to Him for present hope. And then thirdly is that we can look to him for future hope. And those are our three points. So we can be honest with God. In the present, we can have hope. And then for the future, we can have hope. So first, starting off, looking at the psalm, uh, it's not hard to see that the writer is, is okay about being honest with God, right? The first verse that you have in here says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O my God. And if you've ever seen an animal pant for water, you kind of get the word picture uh, that, that the author is trying to create here, that, that it's a longing. And what he's actually saying is that he's desperate enough that, that it's, he's desperate for God's presence, that it's, it's as if he doesn't have water. That's, that's how much he needs God's presence right now in the midst of sorrow. And, and all throughout this passage, he uses language like, my tears have been my food, my soul is downcast within me. But you know what for me truly brings out the idea that this writer is being honest with God, not holding anything back about how this broken world is making him feel. 
Look in this passage, all throughout about four or five different times, he constantly jumps around. Like, he goes from, from talking about admitting his soul is down, and then says he hopes in God for salvation. And then he asks God, why have you forgotten me? And then he again says, but I have hope. He goes back and forth, almost that he looks crazy. Like, he looks like someone that's, that's delirious. I thought about an illustration that, that kind of helps bring this out. Um, one of my wife's and my favorite, I didn't tell her this morning that I was going to admit this to everyone, but we're going to do it. Our favorite movie is Tangled. Um, we're those parents that, maybe not all time, but like top five, we're those parents that like watch Disney movies without our kids. Um, you know, we'll talk about watching one. So I was like, oh, how did Ruthie like it? We're like, she, she didn't watch it with us, just us. So Tangled, awesome movie. And I'm sorry, I'm going to spoil the beginning for you. I won't spoil the end. But in this movie, there's a scene where Rapunzel, the main character, has just run away from home. Uh, her mom, who she thinks is her mom, is not her mom. Actually, I just spoiled the end. I'm sorry if you haven't seen it. <laughs> anyway, there's this hilarious scene where she runs away. And she's conflicted, kind of dealing with, with, with the guilt of, you know, what will her mom think? And she has this hilarious dialogue that I think is just so appropriate to illustrate this. So, so here it is. I'm going to read you the dialogue. She says, I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I did this. Mother would be so furious. That's okay, though. I mean, what she doesn't know won't kill her, right? Oh, my gosh, this would kill her. This is so fun. I am a horrible daughter. I'm never going back. I am never going back. I'm a despicable human being. This is the best day ever. And then she ends with, like, hitting her head on a tree because she's just, like, so upset for what she did. Here's the thing. I think if we're honest at one point, this is how we need to sound to God. If we truly confess, like, how the Christian life is experienced, when we see the brokenness, so often we come to this point, if you're like me, where we say, God, you are amazing, you are faithful, I can't believe how much you've blessed me, this life is incredible. And then if we're honest, like, the next day something happens. And we truly have to come to him and say, God, you are faithful, you are my God, you are my salvation, but why have you forgotten me? I'm actually encouraging us to have that similar language that the psalmist has. And the reason why I think we don't do this often is that we think that this is just kind of simply complaining, right? Well, it must be wrong to complain to God. You're told your whole life, don't complain. And to some extent, that's probably a disservice. It's kind of teaching you, just kind of hold it in and ignore it. But, but for a relationship with God, we think, I don't want to complain. But here's the thing. There is a difference in the Bible between uh, complaining and grumbling, okay? Complaining and grumbling. And John Piper, the uh, great pastor, theologian, writer, has a ministry called Desiring God. He has an article where he mentions this exact idea of grumbling and complaining, and even reference to this psalm. So he says this. He says, the Bible often refers to faithless complaining as grumbling. So faithless complaining as grumbling. And he warns us not to do that. And he lists a few verses Numbers 14, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? John 6, stop grumbling amongst yourselves. Philippians 2, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And then James 5, 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And then he, John Piper goes on to say this, grumbling complaints directly or indirectly declare that God is not sufficiently good, faithful, loving, wise, powerful, or competent. Otherwise, he would treat us better or run the universe differently. Faithless complaining is sinful because it is accusing God of doing wrong. But faithful complaining does not impugn God with wrong. Rather, it is an honest groaning of expression of what it's like to experience the trouble 
anguish and grief of living in this fallen world. God does not mind this kind of complaining. In fact, he encourages it and teaches us how to do it in the Bible in what we call the Psalms of Lament. So there it is, your, your permission to complain, to faithfully complain, to be honest with God, to present the, the different ways that, that I know we all feel and struggle, that this life is hard, that, that there's sorrow, that, that we even at times confess with, with the psalmist, I don't feel like praising God right now. The difference is where you go with that, if you're honest with God about it, or do you just suppress it? So a little bit of application for us this morning on this point before we move on. I don't know, I don't know all of you. I don't know all of your different situations, what you're struggling with. It, it could be something big that, that just happened. It could be sort of an ongoing struggle in your life, a relationship. Or it could just be what I mentioned earlier, that, that scenario of you pictured your life and the circumstances and had everything laid out. And when you look at your life, it's just unrecognizable from your plan. Whatever it is you're facing, this gives you permission to come to God with honesty. This gives you permission to do that. Imagine if you had a best friend and there was a condition in that friendship uh, that that friend had that said, uh, we can talk, but you can't bring everything up to me. Like, I'll be your friend, but there's certain topics that I just don't want you to bring up. Think of how, how hard that, it wouldn't be a friendship. But we do this to God all the time. I think in our minds, we think there's certain things that are okay to bring up to God and certain things I just shouldn't. Or maybe... If you're like me, I'm guilty of this one a lot of times. I think God has like a certain quota for me for what he can actually take. And I think, well, I went to God last night with a request. I can't possibly tell him my request again for today. Think of how silly that is. We learned last week that two big things about God are that he is merciful and that he is loving. And those two things are true. So it's because of that merciful and loving God that we not only can confess and repent of sin, but that we can come to him and say, God, I'm struggling. God, I'm, I, I know that this isn't true, but I'm feeling like you've forgotten me. We need to come to him for the God that he is because he can take it. That's another thing that we do oftentimes. We, we picture someone just dumping all of their stuff on us and, and think, man, like, I know how I feel when that happens. I don't want to do that to God. Like, we put... We put man-made characteristics on God of things that, that just aren't true. God can and wants you to echo the words in this psalm to be able to share your heart. But the problem is when we do this, oftentimes you can see what the writer says is that the enemies taunt, right? When you admit your sorrows, when you admit the, the struggles of, of this world, oftentimes it just reminds you that you're struggling. And what gives us hope for that is, is two things that I mentioned. First, in the present that we have hope, and then the future. So in the present, something that's easy to miss is this psalm, this writer, is actually writing this because he is not in the sanctuary in Jerusalem, and he's longing to be in worship with God. You can see um, uh, verses 10 through 11. He talks about kind of longing and remembering that time when he was able to be in the sanctuary uh, amongst believers worshiping. And so so this, this comes out, there's language that uh, Jordan and, and Hermon, those are way north of the Sea of Galilee, which is really far away from Jerusalem. And so the writer is saying basically, indirectly, that if he was in the presence of God, he wouldn't be struggling with this kind of sorrow. His soul wouldn't be down. He's saying that. He's saying he's longing for the presence of God. 
and he's craving this. But not just God. Look what he says. He says the living God. Okay, oftentimes we look at writers' situations in, in Scripture, and it's appropriate to look at how they respond to certain things, right? Because it's the same God thousands of years ago that we are experiencing today. It's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. But there's a difference that just has to come out and I have to bring up as we look at a passage like this. When we talk about presence of God, presence of God in the Old Testament is this, uh, this kind of theme that, that, that you trace that it can only be approached certain days by certain people and, and you have to have a certain posture and you have to remove your shoes and there's, there's all these things about the presence of God traced throughout Scripture. And then so often what we forget is that Acts 2 happened. Right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. At Pentecost, the, the Holy Spirit came down and fell in believers. And so now we have the Holy Spirit. Listen to this language because we just never, maybe not never, but so often we don't trust and go forth in this power when we think about being comforted in the present with hope. Listen to what it says in Acts 2. It says, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each. And so when you, re- when you read this, this is something that like, I tell my students, I think it's, it's almost borderline weird that we don't talk about this as Christians, but I'm just as guilty about it too. So this, this first starts with me. We have God inside of us, and we don't talk about it. We have the Holy Spirit, like God inside of us, and when we talk about fighting sin, so often we just kind of say, gee, man, I just need to kind of you know, I need to talk about it more. I think, I'd, yes, you need to pray. But we just never mention the idea that God is dwelling in our hearts. And we should look at a passage like this and, and be able to say, thank God that I'm on this side of the cross, that I'm on this side of Scripture because God sent his spirit. And something even crazy that I think people forgot that he said this, Jesus said it's better that he sent the Holy Spirit than if Jesus were here right alongside of you. You remember that in scripture that Jesus said, this is going to be even better for you, that I'm going to send the presence of God and he's going to dwell with you forever in your hearts. But I realize that I'm assuming every single one of us has the same thought this morning and it's, I have God inside of me, but I don't feel like I have God inside of me, right? That, that's so often the fear, the thought. And if you're like me, you read these passages, uh, especially about the Holy Spirit working and how powerful he is, and you think, so he's inside of me, and I'm still acting the way that I do. I'm still battling with this sin or, or tempted not to trust and still dealing with this sorrow. How it goes is that we say, I don't feel like God's inside of me or working, so he must not be working. Here's what this is like, a little illustration for you. Imagine if I were to ask you the question, is there an elephant in this room? All of you would say no, I hope, unless you're just messing with me. Now, Here's, here's something different. Imagine if I were to ask, is there a spider in this room? In addition to those of you who are really freaked out of spiders, you're going to be thinking about it the rest of the time, so I'm sorry, but it's not an obvious answer, right? But we'd have to say, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. In fact, bad news for, sorry, I didn't mean to go on this point, but like there probably is a spider somewhere in here. Maybe not in here, but in the church, there's a spider. Here's the thing. <laughs> sorry. Now, now I'm losing you with the illustration. Come back, come back. There's no spiders in this room. Here's the thing. We often think that trying to understand the purposes of God and see him working should be as obvious as looking for an elephant in the room. And we simply look around, we don't see the elephant, and we say, God must not be working, when in reality, 
finding the purposes of God is like trying to find the spider in the building. Think about what this is saying when we do this. It, being able to say, okay, if God was working, then, then it would be obvious and I would be able to see him. That is actually saying that God's will is not more complex than my ability to understand it. That I have within me the ability, it's, it's really directly saying this, to understand the mind of God. And if I can't figure it out, then that, the only logical conclusion is that God's not working. Friends, if, if God is who he says he is, and he is, if he is the, the great creator in all his majesty and glory, and we can't even really describe him accurately, then, then you are not going to always see and understand what he is doing in the midst of your life and sorrow. You're not. You just have to come to grips with that. You have to first recognize and talk about it, but that's your hope. That's your present hope is that he's working. I mentioned uh, last week that this, this past month I've been in uh, different camps, different trips with kids. So for high school, we went to Colorado uh, outside of Denver and had a wonderful time. And then for middle schoolers, we went to Panama City and had a week, just a, a great time. And it's this camp that they have seven different week locations all throughout the summer in, in different places. And, but something that they do that I really love is that they have the same theme throughout all seven weeks. And there's a different speaker each time, but the same theme. And the theme this year was God is at work even when it feels like he is not. God is at work even when it feels like he is not. I almost named my sermon that this morning, but I felt like it was just kind of plagiarizing from all the preaching I just heard. But remember that through the midst of what we're talking about, God is at work even when it feels like he is not. There's this assumption in the Christian life that if we don't feel God's spirit working, if we don't feel God inside of us, then that, that must mean that he's not working, and that is so not true. I, I cover this all the time with, with students, especially on, on trips, on retreats. A lot of times uh, they're, they're kind of looking for a, a deeper emotional just kind of feeling, and they say, Tim, I, I just, I don't feel God working. I don't know if he's there. And they start to kind of talk, and what I realized even for prepping for the sermon this week is they start to sound like the first two verses in this passage that says, my soul is panting for the living God. I, I long for the presence of God. And it made me realize that in seeking God and looking and craving that presence in the midst of your sorrow, God is working. And so often we, we won't see that right away. It takes someone from the outside to see that I see you're craving the presence. I see that you're longing after God and he is working in your life. James uh, knows that this is a hard tension because in the midst of sorrow and difficulty and failed circumstances, it's hard to see God working, and it's hard to see the purpose. So he writes in James 1, Counter all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James recognizes that, that trials and suffering are hard, and he says something huge for us this morning, that there is a purpose right? There is a purpose. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're really not against suffering. We're really actually not against difficult circumstances. Here's what we're against. We're against suffering that is meaningless. We're against suffering that just kind of seems like it's just there, and there's no real rhyme or reason to it. It just kind of showed up, and there's not a purpose for it. And this is how, we go, how it goes. We try to find the purpose, right? We try to find out what God is doing, 
we can't see it, and we say, well, this is happening for no reason. God must not be working. This reminded me um, something my pastor in Charlotte when I was in seminary used to say, very simple, but he said it all the time, and it has just stuck with me. I've, I've preached it to myself in the midst of, of difficulty, of trials. Uh, I've used it in teaching. It's that in everything, God is working in you and through you. It's, it's really simple, and it sounds like something that we may have heard all our lives, but in everything, in every situation, God is working in you. The fact that God is, is, is molding you to be like Christ, he is, he is doing a work inside of you, and it is never as fast as we want it to be, right? It's never overnight. In fact, sometimes it's, it, it's a much longer process that we, that we battle these things, but God is working in you, and God is working through you that you are being used as a believer. You are being used to build the kingdom of God. And what an honor to be able to say that we're being used by this. This, uh, this past October was, was definitely, if I think of like the hardest time of my life and, and our lives, uh, it was this past October. So hurricane happened. Many of you were out of your homes. We had 10 to 12 inches of flooding. We're evacuated, having our home fixed. We're staying at um, uh, just a different house almost every week. And three weeks after the hurricane, we're still evacuated. We have a baby, our second daughter, Clara. Um, and we bring her home to a house that's, that's not ours. And later that day, my, my wife gets a phone call that uh, her brother, who's my age, four kids under the age of seven, has, has cancer, has a tumor that they just found. And so a few weeks went by, um, and she, I don't remember when, but she eventually talks to him on the phone and just to kind of see and check in how he was doing. I'll never forget what, what she told me that he said. He said, when she asked, I think, like, how to pray for him, he said, pray that I would be able to be awake long enough to be able to study the scriptures and pray, because when I am, my anxiety goes away. His prayer was that the chemo was, was obviously uh, preventing him from being awake, and he knew that whenever he was awake long enough to be able to pray and search the scriptures, that his anxiety was moved, was gone in the midst of his sorrow. And I just, I just can't help but think, first of all, that God was working in him. Think about what it's like to go through that. And that's not an isolated case. Many of you have shared through battling cancer, through loved ones, God uses that. God works in you to change you. But at the same time, I, I've almost never heard my wife more encouraged. And it was after she talked to her brother who's battling cancer. The fact that even through that, God used him to minister to my wife, which, which could have been a really hard phone call. And, and the sorrow doesn't go away, right? He, he still had cancer. We're, we're thankful to report um, uh, it's, it's removed. There's still the checkups, but um, you know, God's been gracious in there. But in the midst of it, there was still sorrow and struggling with that. But there was hope that, that God is working in him and through him. And when you allow this to happen, when you see this, it inevitably leads to the last and final point that we have, that, that we can look to him for future hope. So within this psalm, something interesting, Psalm 42 that we're doing, and then Psalm 43, the one right after it, uh, people say uh, it's kind of one psalm put together um, before it was separated. And there's a lot of repetition between this one and the next one that you can see. There's phrases like, why are you downcast, uh, God? Why have you forgotten me? But there's one phrase that appears over and over again between these two Psalms, and it's my God and my salvation. My God and my salvation. Now, why, we have to ask ourselves, did the writer in the midst of sorrow really seem to want to, to specifically mention over and over again 
my salvation. I think he does this because he knows that when you focus on something in the future, it helps you get through the present. And, and we do this to, to some extent a lot of times. When we were evacuated uh, and, and we're out of our house, we, we just kind of talked a lot about just imagine what it's going to be like uh, you know, when it's done. I, uh, we have a vacation every year that I just, we absolutely love. We go to the beach with Steph's whole family um, and, and stay at a beach house, and I love going to it. This past summer, this past June, when I was at the camps, when it's 2 a.m. and I'm like yelling at middle schoolers and high schoolers and I'm exhausted, it's fun, but I'm really tired. Um, I a lot of times thought, I've got a vacation coming. <laughs> I've got one coming in a few weeks. This is hard. I want to say to all the middle school and high schoolers in the room, I had fun with you. It was a blast. <laughs> but at the same time, um, back-to-back weeks, it, it was exhausting. And, and so I don't think this is wrong to do. There's nothing wrong within the middle of a, of a hard, busy season of life to say, oh, I've got a vacation, I've got some rest coming. But here's the problem. Here's where we take this to where it really can't go. Are we looking to solve the, the true and the real brokenness with those earth-made things? When you think about how is it that you're going to get through sorrow and brokenness, those situations that happen, when you read uh, the writer and what the kind of sorrow and anguish that he's talking about, what is it that's going to fix that? What is it that's going to bring you comfort right now. And so often, but we just simply look to those things in life, right? We, we just look to, I mean, anything, the next job, the next house, the next relationship, the next change of circumstances, when it can only be found in Christ. That is our only hope in now and in the future. I have a student that made me a piece of artwork, um, I think like two years ago, and uh, it has a quote from C.S. Lewis that many of you have heard of. It says this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I'm going to tweak that a little bit just for our purposes this morning. If I find in myself a sorrow which no experience in this world can satisfy, the only probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We constantly try to fix these sorrows. We constantly try to fix the, the disruptions, the circumstances which is things that are on this earth, and they're not going to fix them. Our, our only hope is to look to the future, to, to look to uh, a different life, to recognize, okay, it's not going to be fully fixed in this life. I can't help but think of uh, one of my favorite passages that speaks to this is, is Romans 8. And it says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longings, for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit to the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This hope that Paul's talking about is, is the coming of our king. This hope that he's talking about is, is the restoration of all things that are broken and are run down. And being able to say that's not always going to be like that. 
One of our, our favorite shows that, that we watch is, is Fixer Upper. We just, we love that show. And we watched one, I think last night or a couple nights ago, uh, that was this house that the, I think the owners, you know, not Chip and Joanne, the owners just said, like, this house needs to be bulldozed. I mean, this is a mess. And, and, and Chip and Joanne, the, the characters in the show, were saying, no, 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 just trust us. Like, we can work with it. Here's why I think we love those kinds of shows. It's because is that not the story of us as Christians in Christ? That, that so often we look at our lives of our sin, even of this world, and say, just like, just needs to be starting over. Like, this is such a mess. And the gospel comes in, and Christ comes in and says, no, don't, don't let it go. Don't bulldoze it. I can redeem it. And what you, what you know is that when you, if you've ever seen this show, they're, they're far better than how they started, right? It's not like they just kind of half-fixed them up. I mean, every square inch of these houses are touched, and they're just, they look beautiful. And our hope is that there is coming a day when, I know this is going to confuse you because I said be honest with God, but our hope is that there's coming a day when you don't have to use this language, And I'm excited for that day when you don't have to ask, God, why have you forgotten me? God, where are you? Where we don't have to go back and forth. And where a reality is understood that that our relationship with God, these these 80 to 100 years in life, it pales in comparison to what eternity is going to be like. Here's the thing that we often don't realize, that the majority of our relationship with God, the large majority, is going to be spent being able to see his face. Do you realize that? These 80 to 100 years that we're struggling, that we're praying for more faith, that we're asking, God, where is your presence? God, where are you in the midst of sorrow? God, I can't see you. I can't have faith. I'm struggling. That is such a small part of our relationship with God. And one day it's not going to be that way. And we just long for that day in the midst of our sorrow. And that gives us hope for the future. One conclusion I'm going to be real honest with you guys, not that I haven't been honest this whole sermon, but this is kind of going a deeper level. It, it, for me, has been a really tough week. I just had multiple scenarios, situations come up of just being around people that were just really hurting. I mean, just kind of some of the worst stuff that life can throw at you. And for me, as I was thinking about just sorrow and brokenness and all this was happening, I'd I even came in to, I think, work on Wednesday morning. I was talking to Matt Scott, and um, even a half hour after that, um, some of you remember the shooting, I think, that took place on Monday or Tuesday, and Matt found out that one of his really good friends was the pedestrian killed in that shooting in Savannah. And we were just talking about this topic of sorrow, of brokenness, of being in a world that is that's not how it was meant to be, and just not even really having words, just saying, yeah. It exists, and we almost kind of had to kind of chuckle because I said, boy, if this is what God feels like he needs to do to prepare me for a sermon on sorrow, I'm going to check my text next time before I agree to preach. Because, I mean, it was just one of those weeks where every day I turned around and, and just someone was struggling with some big thing and some things that had happened in my life. And so yesterday morning, um, I'm on a run just praying through the people that I know are suffering, praying through some of the situations going on in, in my life, and, and a song came up, a hymn, that I've heard a hundred times before, and it just struck me, struck a different chord so differently with me. So to end, I'm going to read it, and I'll also say, again, I don't know the sorrows that you're having. Some of you might be in one of those seasons where, where you're excited, you think, I've gone through this right before the hurricane, I thought, boy, life is like pretty good. There's not, I haven't really had anyone sick, there's not really any disruptions 
And so some of you might be in one season, but something that's true that I've often felt sometimes in the midst of that is you're just kind of waiting sometimes for the sorrow, for that phone call, for something to happen. And this gives us hope that even with the life that sorrows bring, that there's hope. So here's, here's the verse that, that was the game changer for me in this. And so I just pray that it encourages your heart. It says, when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow with humble adoration and then proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Long for that day, friends. Long for that day when, when you no longer have to face sorrow, when we no longer have to be honest with God because all we will feel is this joy standing in his presence and we'll look at him and say, wow, what a great God. Let's pray. Father, we do not do this perfectly. God, each and every day, I'm just reminded of, of my sin, of the ways that I don't trust you. God, and, and we're comforted in the fact that that is you that is holding on to us, not us gripping on you, that you are the faithful one, that you have our lives in the palm of your hand, God. And so I pray that just now, and even in the future, God, when, when we get that phone call, when sorrow happens, when we're in the midst of a season of saying everything that's going on right now is different than how I pictured it, God, my prayer for, for me and for everyone in this room is that we would trust you through it, that we would see the hope that we have both presently and the hope that we have in the future of when you call us home and we see your presence and it's as if it never happened at all. But God, until that day, we cling to Christ, our Savior. We pray this in his name. Amen.